0: Welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie, going to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day none other than Rayvana, Rebel HQ contributor, all star, fascinating individual. Should be a great breakdown. Top story of the day. Yeah, E. Jean Carroll is like, oh, cut all that noise. You got one week to pay me my money. Put up the picture full mass. Yeah. Per Forbes, former President Donald Trump is scrambling to cover millions in legal fines that could start next week. The ex-president has not only until the weekend to pay 83.3 million in the verdict in E Jean Carroll's defamation lawsuit unless a court rules otherwise. Carroll also expressed very serious concerns Thursday about Trump's ability to pay So she put this on X, here it is, with the quote, Trump has one week to pay, end quote. A jury ordered Trump to pay $83.3 million to Carol for defamation based on his attacks against the writer after she accused him of sexual assault. And the formal court judgment was entered on the 8th of this uh, February, meaning Trump's payment is due 30 days after. That would be March 9th. Trump intends to appeal the judgment, but will still have to either pay the money into a court controlled account or post on appeals bond, guaranteeing his ability to pay. The ex president has requested that the court pause the judgment against him while he files post trial motions in the case, or else allow Trump to post a substantially reduced bond. And while the court quickly rejected his request to immediately pause the judgment. Uh, While it considers the motion, it still has to issue a lasting ruling. Carroll's attorney argues in a court filing Thursday that Trump is asking the court to simply trust that he's very rich and therefore doesn't need to post a bond guaranteeing he'll pay the money. While they have very serious concerns about Trump's cash position and the feasibility of him paying what he owes. Trump has separately been ordered to pay a whopping $454 million and counting, in the civil fraud case against him and his company. And Carol's attorneys pointed out, pointed to that judgment. The criminal cases against Trump and the ex president's lack of transparency around his own finances. As suggesting there was absolutely no reason to believe that Trump has so much readily collectible cash on hand. The court has given Trump to 5 p.m. Saturday to respond to this filing, and a ruling on whether Trump has to pay the judgment immediately could come soon after, as Trump has asked court to rule by March fourth. There's more. Trump's filing asking to pause the monetary judgment. I simply ask ask the court to trust me and offers in the case in a case with an 83.3 million dollar judgment against him. The court filing equivalent of a paper napkin signed by the least trustworthy of borrowers. Uh, Carroll's attorneys wrote, Trump's attorney argued there is no um, cognizable risk of Trump not paying the judgment against him. Noting Carroll has previously conceded that President Trump's resources suffice to satisfy the judgment. Well, we're not talking about resources, we're talking about character. And this is another element that must be uh, spoken about. The reason why Donald Trump wants his cronies to take over the RNC, is because he wants the RNC to pay for his legal expenses. All right, this is another move based on his personal needs and desires. Having argued to the jury that President Trump has great financial resources, plaintiff is in no position to contradict herself now and contend that she requires the protection of a bond during the brief period while post-trial motions are pending. Um, Once again, my argument would have been about his character, all right? not his assets, because there is somewhat of a contradiction there. Let me give you Forbes valuation of his money. Forbes estimates net, Trump of wor- net worth of Trump at $2.6 billion. That's up September, okay? That includes about $400 million in cash and liquid assets. That's enough to cover the judgment alone, but not his total legal fines when you calculate everything together, including the fraud case. So how will Trump pay? It remains to be seen. According to Forbes, how Trump will cover the legal fines he owes, which total some $540 million and counting. Between his fraud fine, the $83.3 million, and a separate $5 million judgment from Carroll's first trial against Trump, which was already has already been disposed, uh, deposited, excuse me, into a court-controlled account. While Trump doesn't have enough cash on hand to cover the cost. He does have multiple options, including he can borrow money against his own assets that he owns. He can seek help from wealthy friends. He can borrow from a financial institution willing to give him the money, which is now easy after the New York Appeals Court paused the penalty in his fraud judgment that barred Trump from seeking loans in the New York registered institutions. He could also put up some of his real estate assets. His attorney suggested in a filing in the fraud case. While the car payment is coming due in a matter of days, the ex-president has a bit more time to put up the fraud. Uh, put up the fraud ruling cash as the New York Attorney General's Office, which brought the case, is not expected to start enforcing the judgment unless he has not paid by March 25th. This is keeping in form with normative rules. Trump has similarly asked uh, an appeals court to pause the judgment against him in that case or post a 100 million dollar bond. And while the court rejected the request on Wednesday to pause the monetary judgment, while it considers the motion, it still has to issue a lasting ruling. That ruling has not been issued as of yet. Um, This is what happens when you are a defendant for the rest of your life. Rayvada, hell of a thing. This man is is closing in on a billion dollars of self-inflicted debt. Now, this is not debt where he just hit a hard time and made a bad business decision. This is him literally, literally doing what his attorneys told him not to do. And now he owes over half a million.
1: Yeah, absolutely and you know speaking of things his attorneys told him not to do he continues to defame Eugene Carroll and yep. her attorneys have been very clear that they you know uh with her in consultation with her intend to pursue further action if she gives them the green light over this continued defamation. I just wanna remind everybody that the penalties in the defamation case were so high, uh, not necessarily because they believed that she had suffered uh, $85 million worth of damage. uh, But so much of those uh, damages awarded were punitive damages meant to punish him because uh, of his egregious acts and his high likelihood of continuing to defame her which again he's doing right now he's doing on social media he thinks he's smart he won't say her name but um <laughs> any person who's gone to law school or just has a general idea of defamation law can tell you it doesn't matter if he yep. doesn't say her name as long as it's easily understood that he's referring to her so you know I, i've said before but uh, you know, I don't have any sympathy for his attorneys because they know what kind of man he is and they continue to choose to represent him. But if he was any other person, I would feel so bad for them because they have the most uh, you know, uncontrollable client who's just is constantly flying in the face of the advice that they're giving to him and just doesn't seem to care. But it is hysterical to watch his attorneys have to go, you know, into these appeals, uh, uh, court hearings and to these. Uh, you know damages hearings and say my client doesn't have the money he's bragged about having on hand in order to pay out these you know uh, these large damages and he's just continuing to rack them up every time he continues to defame her that's a future penalty that he could be imposing on himself and he's in enough financial and legal trouble as it is I mean it couldn't have happened to a worse person
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and I wonder. Uh- are his
2: followers still saying he's the best businessman in the world? Yeah. DeKalb County cops had to turn themselves in today. They have been indicted. Put up the
0: picture full of masks. I'm taking you to the state of Georgia. A Georgia grand jury in a DeKalb County case has indicted two police officers for a deadly 2022 shooting inside an Autumn Crest Court home. Former DeKalb County Police Officer Russell Mathis was indicted on charges of involuntary manslaughter and reckless conduct. A second officer, Jordan Vance, who is currently employed by DeKalb County, was charged with reckless conduct. At around 11 p.m., November 4th, 2022, officers with the DeKalb County Police Department went to a home. On the 900 block of Autumn Crest Court to respond to a report of a stolen car parked in the driveway. They said when they knocked on the door, it swung open. So they went in and found 36-year-old Morando Salomon in his bedroom in the dark. Now keep that picture up for a second, okay? Understand what's in the report so far. We knocked on the door. And it magically swung open. So we went inside. The DeKalb County DA, Sheriff Boston, went into more details during the press conference. Um, Sheriff Boston is a, is a fine DA, by the way. Uh, Ms. Boston said Salmon threw a phone at the officers. Okay. He's startled, which they believe to be a knife, according to their report. But the narrative from law enforcement actually changed over time. In their first report, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation says that Salomon allegedly reached for a handgun and was shot by officers. A month later, the GBI walked that back. Although the officer did not see Salomon touch a firearm, he was reaching for a nearby item. The GBI report reads, in the news conference Wednesday, DA Boston said body camera footage and other evidence told a very different story. Adding that Mathis appeared to open fire within seconds of encountering Mr. Salmon, although he did have a gun in the room. Boston says it was holstered nowhere near him. And he was a lawful gun owner. Both Mathis and Vance, um, they've surrendered now um, to the local jail. Now, uh, this is one of those stories where nothing seemed legit from the beginning. All right, so how did you gain access? Well, well, we knocked on the door and it just swung open. What? And initially, investigators bought that, or they attempted to make us believe they bought that store. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The door is just kind of cracked open already. They knocked on it, swung open. They went in to investigate, make sure everything was okay. Then there's this massive and very important detail that has contradiction. Did he reach for a gun or did he throw a cell phone? Because maybe you changed the story after realizing he had a gun in the home. See how this works? And all of a sudden, the story starts to transform into this gun thing no gun was part of the narrative initially. And so DA Boston took this before grand jury, grand jury said, indict. All right, um, at least there's a symbol of justice happening now. Uh, naturally, this never should have happened. A man basically sleep in his bedroom, gets shot and killed by the police. They claim that his door is just basically open. Rayvana, thoughts?
1: Yeah, well, first, I would say one of those officers is still employed by the department, and I would hope that they soon will not be because, uh, at the very least, you know, of course, there's still going to be prosecution. We'll have to see how that plays out. But at the very least, this person has shown that they are willing to lie on official reports to investigators uh, to either, you know, to cover up for themselves or to make things look better for their buddy who was, you know, primarily responsible in this situation, regardless, this is a liar. Um, and the fact that he is still employed shows you know some grave concern for the priorities of this police department. Um, I'll also say that the secure the body camera footage, excuse me uh, showed a very different story than even the when they recounted what they had previously yep. said to the investigators that it was almost instantaneous. the door opened and the shots were fired. so, of course, they didn't have time in a dark room. they had no time to evaluate what could have possibly, uh, he could have possibly been reaching for. Uh, they had no idea that there was a gun present in the room or whether he would have even been able to access it. But I will just say this, even if they legitimately believed a knife was thrown at them, that is in no circumstances an appropriate time to use deadly force. Because now that individual, they've thrown the knife, or what you believe right. to be a knife, It's not in their possession anymore. They are not a threat to you. They came away uninjured. They were fine because it wasn't a knife, as we know, it was a cell phone. Um, uh, But even that, even their argument that that would have justified using deadly force is completely absurd and
0: has no merit. Right. And that's a great point because publicly they thought that would get them off. And really, it's because of how we have contextualized policing in America. Uh, They believed that as long as We can say we thought. Obviously, everybody else will forgive the uh, killing uh, that we've
2: engaged in. All right, we'll bring updates as they come. Hell of a thing. There's a settlement
0: now. Put it up for a mask. A teen who was arrested, handcuffed by a cop unlawfully reaches a settlement. I'm taking you to Bridgewater Township, New Jersey Police Department. They came under fire two years ago after officers handcuffed a black teen named Zaik Hussein. Mr. Hussein was at Bridgewater Commons Mall. They have settled the lawsuit with his family report, say. viral video had captured the incident that began with an altercation between the young Hussein and, excuse me, and a lighter complected teen at the local mall in February, this was in 2022. The then 14 year old said the conflict started when the other teen who's 15 years of age of Colombian and uh, Pakistani descent started bullying his friend. It's a seventh grader. When police responded to the area, two Bridgewater police officers tackled the young Hussein and placed him in handcuffs. The other teen was able to sit on a nearby bench and watch from the sideline. We saw that right here. Hussein told ABC7, quote, the male officer put his knee in my back, and then he started putting me in cuffs. Then the female officer came over and put her knee on my upper back, too, and started helping him put cuffs on me while he was just sitting down on the couch watching the whole thing. After the scuffle, neither team was charged, but both boys were banned from the mall. For three years. The incident garnered national attention and widespread criticism. It was called an example of biased policing, set off protests throughout the township. Black leaders demanded that the officers be revealed, excuse me, relieved from their duties after they were exposed. The police department tapped the uh, Somerset County prosecutor's office to assist in the investigation. Hussein's family filed a lawsuit against the city alleging that he was discriminated against and subjected to a hostile environment based on race. At a press conference last week, the family did not disclose the amount it received from the Bridgewater Township. Court documents show the sum a little over 150,000, but the family set to receive 113,000 after attorney fees. Civil rights attorney Ben Crump said at the conference, per the reports, quote, officers far too often see our black children as predators We have a visual proof, we have visual proof of officers doing these nefarious things and yet nothing happens to them. So let's go to the chief of police for Bridgewater. Um, His name is John B. Mitzak. Per ABC7, the NAACP says they wanted this confrontation to be a teachable moment, hoping the Bridgewater police would acknowledge their mistake, but that did not happen. It only led to more mistrust between cops and the community, attorney Crump echoed. The same sentiments, adding, they scoffed at it, almost as if Hussein doesn't matter. Per NJ.com, local officials and state attorney general, Matthew Platkin's office, investigated the officer's response to the incident. Disputes over those reviews have reportedly made the status of any disciplinary action the officers may face unclear. As ABC7 reported, Hussein and his family joined the NAACP. And calling for more transparency and better training. And called the state attorney general to release his report on the incident. The NAACP said they are going to start a training program of their own for police officers. They're going to monitor the number of officers in the state of New Jersey that take that program. That's at least some forward thinking um, to provide an opportunity to certify um, community focus police officers or police departments to take this kind of training. Execution is always very important. I'm glad that there's some level of penalty for what these cops did. I remember the video they went in immediately decided that the darker complected individual was the absolute aggressor. They were completely incorrect in that assessment, but that did not stop them even when other peers said no, 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 you have it wrong, you have it wrong. They never corrected course Ravana, thoughts.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember covering the story when it first came out on TYT. I can't believe it's been two years. Yeah. And I'm glad that the family has gotten a little bit of justice. I'm really disappointed in the police department for not uh, you know, being clear with uh what actions, if any, they took against these officers. And it's uh, you know, disappointing to see that the relationship between the community and the department is broken down even further. Although having seen that video multiple times, I, I fully believe it because. The violence and force with which they uh, took down that child uh, and then handcuffed him and pinned him to the ground. I mean, the furniture is being you know moving all across the room, being thrown across the room with how violent they tackled him. and you know, they were kneeling on uh, his upper back um while they handcuffed him. and what was really telling about that video was that the Uh, the lighter skin, the white passing person involved in the fight who we know to be the instigator sat and waited to be handcuffed because you could tell that he knew that he was the person responsible for instigating this. He sat there and waited and the officers never even take a second to consider that this person, this individual, might be uh, even equally responsible for starting the fight. It was as though, you know, this was a training video to identify police racism, and they had to make an exaggerated example. That's how clear and obvious the racism was in this clip. So, for the police department to, you know, seem very reticent to take any lesson from this is
0: disappointing. Yeah. Well said. We will bring you updates. I do hope the NAACP implements a great program for police officers to take. We got
2: more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right. Welcome back. A lot of show left. Let me read some of these beautiful and amazing comments. Always
0: good to be with everybody. Yep. I am sorry. Trump owes Eugene Carroll a ton of money, but Biden still owes all of us six hundred. CDE seven one nine five four. Did uh, Trump try to fundraise among his followers to pay the judgment? And Neil Whittington, thank you so much. Um, stepdad needs to hit Jared up for a loan. See Michael Henson. member for nineteen months. Well, I guess Trump better get a move on and start selling them shoes a lot more aggressively, Carol said. Where's my money? It's too funny. All right, and a bunch of memberships. So we got Le Dragon de Jardin was gifted a membership by Tony D. Thank you, Tony D. Tony D got, got a lot of memberships. So Tony D is responsible for also Tubi Doggo, Model 3 Dude. May Yulinda is special. Jesse, 219 Tiger. Mary Ann Masters, Chips, Tofa Barrow, JF, thank you so much for joining. And thank you, Tony D, for being the catalyst, all right, agnostic sister. Wait, I just noticed, no time Friday for Dr. Richard. That's right, it's a new thing. If you noticed last week, I did not have a time last week either, all right? So, dress down Friday kind of thing. Okay, got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would.
3: You want to call the police on him for having a barbecue on a you Sunday?
2: You're, you're
3: feel afraid. So right so back so. off. i said, going There's an African-American man threatening my life. i None
0: of you. You might not want to go that way. i right. of you. <laughs> do <Don't
2: get laughs> She tripping.
0: Damn, she's throwing. She is tripping up in here. She is tripping.
3: You want to go to jail for a long time? Just get hungry. I dare you!
0: Can I hear No, don't. No. no.
3: I dare you. haven't all time? Yeah, you
0: don't get do it. God. Don't
2: hit her. No, get hungry! Walmart is crazy today. She's hungry. Sir. Sir. I'm gonna Sir. buy some food.
0: Sir, please. <laughs> Karen, you're not you when you're hungry. All right, put it up full mass. Now, we don't have significant details here. This happened, this was a throwback that happened back in 2021. I do know this. Anytime I see somebody with an old school Reebok t-shirt on, I already know they are an OG. That There is no one who wears an old school Reebok shirt and they're not of OG status. I am very, very pleased at how everyone responded. Now, you got to think about this, okay? This is Walmart. Loss prevention, they think they're the FBI. They they will come out and tackle you um, once you breach that barrier. But everybody here was very calm. They continued to shop. Um, The one young man who was recording said, listen, I'm going to buy her some food because it seems as if that's the issue here. And then the other employee is simply walking, trying to calm her down. So everybody, to me, responded very appropriately to a person who obviously was having some type of breakdown in that moment. We all have them, it happens. All right, Ray thoughts here.
1: Yeah, I I was thinking the exact same thing. I mean, it was really a a masterclass on how to handle these types of situations. I mean, you know, whether she's having, you know, some sort of uh, uh, experiencing some sort of mental discomfort, some sort of uh, emotional breakdown, what have you, or, you know, even if it was just a a Karen moment and something snapped and she's, uh, you know, behaving that way, the best way to respond is, Uh, You know, with empathy, but also, you know, if she's being aggressive, is just not to engage, you know, to remain calm as the other, you know, shoppers there uh weren't like staring or making a spectacle. They were just sort of keeping their heads down, trying not to escalate the situation That's further. Right. And you were exactly right about the employees because you know some people are doing way too much for how little they're making at Walmart, right? You yep. you're you you do not have stock in Walmart, all right? <laughs> you know, you don't you don't have to put your life on the line <laughs> to protect their their bottom line or whatever it may be. So just to calmly, you know, follow behind, uh trying to escort her out and you know for the man to you Know, even offered to buy her food was ex- exceptionally kind. So, I mean, really, this is uh, just a, a really wonderful way for all these people to respond to a, yeah, an intense
0: there
2: situation. There you go. Nobody gets harmed. Nobody gets killed. Everybody goes home. All right. A hacker group says that they hacked Fulton
0: County government. They are going to release pertinent information in the Trump trial, if the government does not pay them money. They are threatening to do this and the county calls their bluff. This is fascinating. So let me first go to Krebs on security. And according to the outlet Krebs on security, and he does a lot of these commentaries and is very knowledgeable. There's been a major development in the hacker threat in Fulton County, where Trump is being prosecuted, along with his cronies. The ransomware group LockBit told officials with Fulton County, Georgia, that they could expect to see their internal documents published online this morning unless the county paid a ransom demand. LockBit removed Fulton County's listing from its victim-shaming website this morning, claiming the county paid the money. What? The county paid? However, county officials said they did not pay, <clears throat> nor did anyone make payment on their behalf. Security experts say LockBit was likely bluffing and probably lost most of the data when the gang's servers were seized this month by U.S. and U.K. law enforcement. LockBit listed Fort County as a victim on the 13th. Of last month, saying that unless it was paid a ransom, the group would publish files stolen in a breach at the county last month. The attack disrupted county phones, internet access, and even their court system. Lockbit leaked a small number of the county's files as a teaser, which appeared to include sensitive and sealed court records in current and past criminal trials. We have that information um, posted there with obvious uh, redaction and limitation. On the 16th of last month, Ford County's entry along with the countdown timer until the data would be published was removed from the LockBit website without explanation. The leader of LockBit told Krebs on security this was because Ford County officials had engaged in a last-minute negotiation with the group. But on the 19th of February, investigators with the FBI and the UK's National Crime Agency, NCA, took over LockBit's online infrastructure, replacing the group's homepage with a notice, a notice that they have seized LockBit ransomware decryption tools. In a press briefing, On the 20th of February, Forge County Commission Chairman, Mr. Rob Pitts, told reporters the county did not pay a ransom demand, noting that the board, quote, could not in good conscience use Forge County taxpayer funds to make a payment. Three days later, Lockbit reemerged with new domains on the dark web and with Forge County listed among half a dozen other victims whose data. Was about to be leaked if they refused to pay. As it does with all victims, Lockbit assigned Forge County a countdown timer, saying officials had until late in the evening on March 1st until their data was published. Lockbit soon moved up the deadline to the morning of February 29th. As Forge County's Lockbit timer was counting down to zero this morning, its listing, and I'm talking about on that date, its listing disappeared. From the site again, so LockBit's leader and spokesperson who goes by the handle LockBitSup told Krebs on security that Fulton County's data disappeared from their site because county officials paid a ransom. Fulton paid, LockBitSup said. When when asked for evidence of the payment, LockBitSup claimed the proof is what we deleted their data. The proof is that we deleted their data and did not publish it. End quote. Sounds like Donald Trump is on the other side. <laughs> like that's a, that's such a Trumpian answer. All right, uh, but at a press conference, there's more. Fulton County Chairman Rob Pitt said the county does not know why this, why its data was removed from Lotbit's site. Quote: As I stand here at 4:08 p.m., we are not aware of any data being released today so far. Pitt said that does not mean the threat is over. They could release whatever data they have at any time. We have no control over that. We have not paid any ransom, nor has any ransom been paid on, paid on our behalf. Brett Callow, a threat analyst with the security firm um, MCSoft, said a lot likely lost lost all of the victim data it stole before the FBI NCA seizure, and that it has been trying madly since then to save face within the cyber crime community. They, got, they have a certain street credibility they have to maintain here uh, in the cyber streets, I guess. I think it was a case of them trying to convince their affiliates that they are still in good shape. Callow said of LockBit's recent, activity, recent activities. <laughs> I strongly suspect this will be the end of LockBit brand. There's more. Others have come to a similar conclusion. The security firm RedSense posted an analysis to Twitter X after that after the takedown, LockBit published several new victim profiles for their companies that it had listed weeks earlier on its victim shaming site. Those victim firms, a healthcare provider and, and major securities lending platform, also were removed from LockBit's new shaming website, despite LockBit claiming their data would be leaked. Quote, we are 99% sure, the rest of their new victims also fake claims. Old data for new breaches, red sense posted. So the best thing for them to do will be to delete all of the entries from their blog and stop defrauding honest people. Callow said there certainly have been plenty of cases in the past where uh, ransomware gangs exaggerated their plunder from a victim organization. Uh, But this time it feels different. He said, uh, this is a bit unusual. This is about trying to uh, steal affiliates' nerves and saying all is well. We weren't as badly compromised as law enforcement suggested. But I think you'd have to be a fool to work with an organization that has been so thoroughly hacked as LockBit has. (laughs) Um, I didn't realize this was such a fascinating criminal enterprise, by the way. So they have. Organization. They have spokespersons. They have uh, this credibility they must maintain. Uh, it's a real criminal enterprise here. So, Ravana, uh, would you like to dive into the uh, depth of this criminal underground known as cybersecurity?
1: Right. We really got some inside baseball knowledge on uh <laughs> the yeah. way that these criminal enterprises have to represent themselves to the public. No, I think this is a really, really interesting story because it is such a poorly thought out plan, you know. From coming from a legal perspective, the threat that they're going to release the documents relating to the Trump case feels hollow and pointless because if the threat is that you're going to release the documents you have so that the Trump team can see them, well, let me introduce you to a topic called discovery, through which right. they would already know what documents they have. So the only thing that they might, you know, be feeling a little anxious about then would be strategy. But they've been pretty forthcoming with what they intend their strategy to be with the trials ahead in media, you know, during. You know, press conferences. So even and it's you know, we can all reasonably assume what their legal strategy is moving forward. Uh, so even that is is not a, a very strong threat. The whole thing is it seems very poorly thought out and silly. Um, but you know, speaking of maybe stupid and poorly thought out things, I would urge <laughs> the uh Fulton County uh court system and to retrain their employees on. How to safely use technology because I think a lot of people have a misconception of what cybercrime looks like. Yeah. They imagine some advanced hacker, you know, uh, entering codes and you know using backdoors or whatever uh, terminology <laughs> I can remember from anything pertaining to technology um, to sort of gain entry. When in reality, it's typically they send an email, a phishing email, to all of the. Dot gov uh, email addresses within a certain uh, government entity, and someone clicks on the link and that downloads, you know, ransomware or malware or you know, in some aspect that's how the viruses get in. That's how they get access to the servers, the information that they have. Um so I would uh, urge them to take precautions and you know, maybe retrain people who work for them on how to interact with that, you know, send them fake practice phishing emails to right. see how many people fall for it in the future.
0: Yeah, and the biggest blunder I think was in the beginning when they assumed that they had access to the DA's office. The DA said, no, we already took our uh, servers away from Fulton County for this case and created an independent um, server so that this could never happen to us. And so big ups to Fonnie Willis and the team for being that proactive. This was never an issue about that particular case from the beginning, even though the claims were there. from the uh, from the initial narrative. All right, we got more on the
2: other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Good to be
0: with you. A lot of comments. Tony D, thank you. And Tony, did you like hit the lottery, brother? Thank you. All right. As a United States, as a USMC vet, God bless you for your service. I see our rights destroyed while media blames me for our uh, our situation. Pelosi says FBI uh, instigate ceasefire while ignoring uh, insider trading. And I gotta tell you this, Senator John Ossoff went against Pelosi and and gang when he proposed legislation to say, listen, this needs to be illegal, what y'all doing, Um, all of this insider trading and benefiting from knowledge you have about what's coming down the pike. And she literally told him stand off and he did not. I got a lot of respect for the young brother. All right, manual. Um, I liked the shopper to shopper support. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to go there. <laughs> they were trying to warn you, right? They were like, you may not, may not want to do that. Not a good idea. Yeah. C. Michael Henson. Thank you, C. Michael. Um, looks like the ransom hold- holder got held for ransom. <laughs> I, re- I don't know who's telling the truth. I don't know. I don't know. I be mean, hell. They could have got their money, man. Um, Woke Dragon, member for seven months, thank you. We love you, Dr. Richie and Rivana. Yes, we love you back. We love you back. And uh, Scott Smith gave a bunch of indisputable memberships. Thank you. We got Moving Death, Hazy Dragon, um, Mishia, Mich- Mich- I think, Jackson. My apologies if I pronounced that incorrectly. Aggressive Progressive and uh, Rachel Serrano. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And Twitch. Um, you know, that's a good point. So, Jack O'Dragon 1991 says usually when someone is hungry, they don't have that type of energy. All right. Um, bigots, one in particular, woman accused, bigot accused, bigot accused of harassing black neighbors, put it up full mass. Uh, when will this stop? Prairie land Black Star. Maine's attorney general has filed a civil rights complaint against 65-year-old Andrea um, Kulet, who was accused of racist verbal and physical attacks against two black neighbors that included threats of, I will effing kill you toward one of the victims, all right? Attorney General Aaron M. Frey announced the complaint under the Maine Civil Rights Action on Tuesday against this individual, um, Andrea of Lewiston, Maine, who according to the complaint exhibited racist behavior toward a 48-year-old black woman and a 31-year-old black man. Both victims who live along a block across the street from a home are originally from Somalia, but have lived in the area for two decades, according to the complaint. More than 80% of the city's population is made up of white residents, and just under 11% of the city is black, according to the latest Census Bureau information. So Andrea uh, is accused of being racist, all right? So around November 9th, 2023, the man was outside his home speaking with his neighbor. A conversation that Andrea was able to hear. The document showed, Andrea called him a racial epithet and told him to go back to your country. Very common Karen like behavior. We've documented it here on Indisputable. According to the complaint, after the victim, Told her to stop. Andre allegedly assaulted the man by throwing a pumpkin at his head, causing him to need medical attention for a swollen face, broken nose, and a broken tooth. The man required surgery to fix his nose and sinus cavity, and he missed multiple weeks of work during recovery. Quote The defendant's actions also emotionally distressed victim number one, and he continues to avoid coming into contact with the defendant whenever possible, according to the document. Frey also accused Andrea of similar behavior toward another woman who lives nearby January 10th. As a neighbor exited her vehicle, Andrea left her building to confront the neighbor and began yelling that she couldn't park her car there. Andrea then allegedly approached the woman wielding a knife, screaming racial slurs and telling the black woman to, once again, Go back to your country, or I will effing kill you, end quote. The complaint says the incident caused the woman to fear for her life and contact local police. The victim's daughter also experienced emotional distress stemming from the racist incident, and the woman and her family have avoided coming into contact with Andrea wherever possible. The Lewiston Police Department, which is investigating both incidents, Says criminal charges are pending against Andrea according to the DA's office, pending, okay? Frey's complaint is requesting a civil injunction against Andrea, preventing her from having any future contact with either victim and her families and from future violations of the Maine Civil Rights Act. The act authorizes Frey to bring an action against anyone using or threatening physical force, violence or property damage against someone based on biases related to race, color, religion, and or other characteristics according to the DA's office. Violating an order issued under Maine Civil Rights Act can mean a $2,000 fine and up to 364 days in jail. The office said in a news release, Andrea remains held in jail on a $5,000 cash bond. Um, She's in the county jail, Um, great reporting by Atlanta Black Star on this. Okay, Um, we have reported on multiple stories like this where individuals who are racist and um, a little bit up in age, just cannot help themselves, even if they are threatened with police intervention. They will still engage in this kind of activity. You got to think about how extreme and racist this is. Literally, you are willing to eliminate yourself out of normative society, put yourself in danger of incarceration, just so you can have the ability to call someone the N-word. This is insane. But this is how deep the psychology of racism is inside of some. Ravana thoughts here.
1: Well I'm glad that they're, you know, filing a civil rights complaint against her. What I can't wrap my head around is why she's uh, still pending charges right. um and there's still an ongoing investigation. What I also can't understand is why she hasn't been charged with a hate crime. This seems like an extremely multiple hate crimes in this instance. It seems like extremely clear cases. I mean, it's exactly what you need to charge someone with a hate crime. Uh you know, the Not the racism is embedded in the incident. It's not assumed. She is clearly stating her racist intent behind committing these crimes. So while I'm glad that, you know, that she could be facing these, you know, relatively severe penalties, I mean, and uh, spending a year in jail is. No small matter, but uh, she needs to be removed from society. This is someone who clearly lacks, you know, her drive to be racist. Her bigoted nature overwhelms any sense of sanity that she <laughs> would have. I mean, her ability to even just exist in this community and live in this society is uh, so severely compromised by her racist nature that she is a danger to those around her yep. and a threat to them. And she needs to. Be be removed from that you know spending time in jail and she needs to face really severe penalties and so i just don't see what investigation needs to continue for them to even charge her it's all right in front of them yeah
0: every bit of it and you make a great point about the hate crime aggravator because they they write these laws so restrictive that you literally have to be hurling the the racist word while engaged in the criminal act. If you said something racist a week before and you commit a crime the week after against the same person, there's ambiguity, all right? You can argue, but this person literally did the crime while yelling the racism, which is typically how the statute is interpreted. All right, we'll bring you updates as they come. We
2: got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. A judge decided to overturn a sexual assault conviction. Just let the
0: person go. But that judge has been removed. Let's put it up full mass. It's unbelievable, but it happened. Illinois, Adams County Judge Robert Adrian was removed from the bench after a state oversight panel determined that he, in fact, engaged in misconduct, attempted to circumvent the law. When he decided to reverse the then 18-year-old sexual assault conviction, speaking to the Chicago Tribune on Friday, Adrian said that his removal is totally a miscarriage of justice. No, no, you overturning the will of the jury, sir. That's the miscarriage here. The decision from the court commission comes after the Judicial Inquiry Board filed a complaint against Judge Adrian. This was January 2023. Now, this is a rare thing to happen, okay? They accused the judge of willful misconduct. Now, remember, judges have significant leverage in how to do a case, okay? They do. But they decided this was willful misconduct, conduct that was prejudicial to the administration of justice, and that brought the judicial office into disrepute. The commission held a three-day hearing for the complaint against Judge Adrian uh, in November and rendered its judgment last week, determining that the judge, quote, has engaged in multiple instances of misconduct. He abused his position of power to indulge his own sense of justice while circumventing the law. He lied on the oath on multiple occasions, and he has failed to acknowledge his misconduct. June 2021, give an example, 16-year-old girl who sentenced, um, who since, excuse me, turned 18 and come forward as Cameron Bond accused Drew Clinton, pictured there, of sexually assaulting her at a graduation party while she could not consent. In October 2021, Judge Adrian found Clinton guilty of one of three counts of felony sexual assault and Clinton served 148 days in county jail. Then at a sentencing hearing in January 2022, Judge Adrian reversed the guilty ruling and called Clinton's 148 days, quote, plenty of punishment, end quote. Uh, this happened when this teenager, because he was and is a teenager, was two weeks past 18 years old. He has no prior record, none whatsoever. This court will not do that. That is not just, Judge Adrian said. On top of Adrian's decision to reverse the guilty ruling, he also seemed to um, infantilize a white male alleged assailant, where boys and young men are uh, of color who face Criminal charges are adultified. All right. So at the same sentence hearing, the judge blamed the parents. All right. So he famously blamed the parents' teens who hosted and attended the graduation party rather than Clinton. Uh, They allow 16 year olds to bring liquor to a party, they provide liquor to underage people. And you wonder how these things happen. Well, that's how these things happen. The court is totally disgusted with that whole. Uh, with that whole thing. He said, this is what happens when parents do not exercise their parental responsibilities, when we have people, adults having parties for teenagers and they allow coeds and female people to swim. He said female people to swim in their underwear, uh, in their swimming pools, end quote. Of course, alcohol doesn't cause. Uh, This is a victim blaming line that uh, of thinking that absolves and abuses of the decision to harm someone in a vulnerable state. Um, Sounds like a Kavanaugh supporter to me. Uh, March 2022, when the Judicial Inquiry Board first began looking into allegations of misconduct against Judge Adrian for reversing the guilty ruling against Clinton. Now, remember, Clinton is grown. He's an adult in the judicial system, okay? When they started looking at this um, against Clinton, Judge Adrian questioned Vaughn's victimhood. Now, this is the victim, all right? So he questions the victimhood. The reality is, quote, the reality is that I had second thoughts on the finding of guilty shortly after the several day trial. I found haunting Clinton, being in jail, pending the hearing on the post-trial motions, he said in written statements to the board. My focus on reconsideration was the issue of consent. The people must have proven beyond a reasonable doubt Vaughn was unable to consent. I finally concluded I had not. It had not. Later that year, Judge Adrian spoke to news outlets about how the left was trying to cancel him. So Cameron Vaughn told Law and crime, quote, as a survivor of sexual assault, I find Judge Adrian's comments and assertions to be just as disingenuous as the Illinois Courts Commission found them. I think it's disgusting that he would go on record and outright call me a liar. His actions are shameful, and he has never shown any remorse, Bond said. To the now former judge, Robert Adrian, you cannot hurt me anymore. I am forever thankful to the Illinois Courts Commission as they made it possible that he can't shame and blame any other victims like he did to me. To all the other survivors out there, you matter. End quote. Um, You know, when they investigated this cat, they realized, you know, he didn't just make this um, miscarriage, he didn't involve himself in just one uh, dynamic of misconduct, but many. Um, And that is the primary reason they removed this individual summarily from the bench. If it would have been one occasion, they probably would have given him a suspension. But because they found it to be pervasive, they removed him altogether. Rivana thoughts here.
1: Yeah, as a lifelong Illinois resident, I am grateful that he has been removed from his position of power. But I will say that to all of the people, you know, specifically men who ask this question, well, why don't women go to the police when they are supposedly the victims of sexual violence? Uh, this is one of the reasons why. He gave so many women in the state a reason to not even bother reporting when they are the victims of sexual assault or to the police because. Even if they are the, you know, quote unquote, perfect victim and they follow all the steps, you might still have to sit in front of a judge who sympathizes with yeah. over you. The victim of the violent crime that he sees himself not in a not in a victim. He doesn't feel sympathy for you as a victim. He sees himself reflected back at him at a white man who he that's the person he sympathizes with that's the person he thinks that this whole experience has been too tough on and although he's been removed from the bench and you know I commend her bravery for naming herself and making these public statements um but she hasn't received justice she yep. didn't receive justice removing him right. from the bench was not enough her got to walk free after it was determined it, by a court of law, by a jury, that he did sexually assault her. She got no justice in this case. So, for her to then use what this horrible situation that happened to her, how she was victimized in this way, you know, as a platform to speak out, you know, for other survivors and to fight for justice for other survivors is so, so brave and so commendable. And, you know, as a survivor of sexual violence myself, this these stories of like the judge are just devastating. And yep. we can see, you know, all these parallels to our own situations. But, you know, just to see this young girl come forward and to be so brave and to speak on behalf of other victims, you know, just it does fill my heart with optimism and hope.
0: Yeah. Find the power.
2: Don't allow anyone to take it away. Amen to that. Black bus mechanic says he was targeted with a noose. Here it is, full
0: mass. Hell of a story. I'm taking you to St. Louis. A group of bus drivers organized a rally after one of their colleagues, Mr. Mitchell, a man Mitchell, found a noose at his workstation. The walkout caused disruption for the public school system earlier this week. The district. Had to cancel activities, struggled to find transportation for students following the demonstration by the Missouri Central Bus Company. Mr. Mitchell, one of the few black mechanics at the company, said that he saw a rope after he made a complaint to Human Resources. His co worker emphasized that it's the latest instance of racial discrimination and intimidation in the workplace, per the news outlet. Quote, nobody came up to me to apologize about finding a news, Mitchell told KSDK. Nobody came to me to see how hurt I am or to see how traumatized or how much pain I'm in, end quote. During an interview with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Mitchell said the conflict arose when his boss asked him to make quick fixes to the brakes on the bus to pass an, an inspection. This was concerning for Mitchell, who believed that some of the brakes needed to be replaced He even offered to go the extra mile to ensure safety. The newspaper reported that an argument erupted between Mitchell and the supervisor, resulting in him going to the corporate office. He found the news last Thursday about 100 bus drivers reportedly called in sick on Monday to take a stand in solidarity with Mr. Mitchell. Missouri Central's bus regional operations manager, Scott Allen, said the company will hire an independent third party to probe the allegation per KSDK. And that's all we have so far. I want to say thank you to Mr. Mitchell for standing up and protecting children, by the way. Why did he not want to do this? Because it would have put children in danger. Thank you. And thank you for standing up to your boss, going to HR, and doing what you did. And thank you to the colleagues who support him. This is how we win. This is how we win. Ravana, the thoughts here.
1: Yeah, well, I hope that the third party they hired to investigate this, uh, you know, is reputable and is actually interested in getting to the the truth of what happened and fighting for justice, as opposed to, you know, just sort of tacitly backing the claims made, you know, by the boss. That said, of course, you know, it's amazing to see the solidarity. That was uh, exhibited there. All of the other drivers who were, you know, willing to walk out in, you know, uh, in solidarity with him to fight against the racist injustice he's suffered, but also to, as you pointed out, to fight for the protection of these children. I mean, th- this person, uh, his boss, needs to be fired. This person clearly, aside from being A horrific racist and creating a hostile workplace environment also was willing to risk the lives of children because he was too lazy to actually do his job. You know, there needs to be a separate investigation into that also. So, you know, keep our eyes on this as it develops.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Joy Reed, she just had to provide a proper education for a caller. Here it is. Perception does matter. Around the time of Megara Evers, you know, you had the signs of, you know, Negroes
4: and colored people this and, you know, all of that. Um, Why are we still using the synonym black? There are no black people. If we're going to start calling immigrants that come through the border brown people, let's call the brown people, all the brown people, brown people. And like really cat. Take hold of the narrative instead of like, I don't know if people have actually looked up the color black in the dictionary. It's not something, why would you want to call your children that? It means darkness, void. You know, that's part of the discrimination. We are not black people, we are brown. And that's Uh, it. That's all I want to say. (coughs) I mean, the term black came came about because of people wanting to empower themselves, because the term Negro. was, is a made-up term that was made up by white supremacists in order to label black people who came from multiple ethnic groups and throw them all together. I don't think people understand that Africa is the most um, biodiverse uh, continent. There are 2,300 separate ethnic groups in on the continent of Africa. So when Africans were taken in slavery to America, you're mixing tribes that had no genetic relationship other than all being Negro. And so the idea of whiteness and blackness was invented in America. It didn't exist before the 16th century.
0: Oh, We have some more as well. Put up the picture for a mask. So she thoughtfully gave a proper education. Um, I love uh, Joy Reid, Joy Henry. Thoughtfully educated the person. This was on C-SPAN's morning in call program, Washington Journal. The caller talked about the different Racial labels African-Americans have gone by in American history, okay? Now, here's more of Reed's response to that caller. No white people in Europe
4: who are all different ethnicities, whether they're Italian or Greek or British or German, they didn't call themselves white. The idea of whiteness didn't exist until this country was founded. And when people Europeans came here and decided to enslave Africans who were again, they spoke different languages from each other. They couldn't communicate with each other, let alone communicate with their so-called owners. They designated white and black as a way to to delineate African slaves from indentured servants who were European. They wanted to enslave specifically the Africans. And so they invented these terms white and black in order to distinguish themselves from the Africans. And distinguish themselves from the indigenous who they called savages. It was literally an invention of slave owners in the United States. And so when people reclaimed the term black in the 1960s, it was because they had decided to empower themselves. It was a term that felt to them more powerful than simply using the term Negro, which had been invented by enslavers. So I don't see any problem with black. Black is a term that can mean power, it can mean beauty. Um, It doesn't have to mean darkness and horror. It it can in the linguistics of the culture of the United States. But in the culture, in terms of black culture, it doesn't mean that. And so when people say black, they mean that as a powerful term, not a negative term.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about the shift that took place in the 1960s and beyond, Um, let's put them up for a mass. If you remember leaders, like Stokely Carmichael, the big home Kwame today, famously introduced the phrase black power at a Mississippi rally. Now, this was a black activist movement where black pride was instilled in the movement. It was required to understand that black was beautiful. What followed was a cultural turning point as phrases like black is beautiful or I'm black and I'm proud began to emerge as the power center of restorative expression among black people. It revitalized identity. It revitalized well-being. The racial label African-American gained popularity in the 1980s, the 1980s, after a number of black leaders like Reverend Jesse Jackson supported its use and noted its cultural integrity. That term is still commonly used today to refer to black people. A 2021 Gallup poll found that black Americans prefer the use of black, 52% over the use of the term African-American at 44%. New terms like uh, BIPOC and POC, person of color referring to people of color, started cropping up over the last decade in the United States as comprehensive labels to refer to anyone who is not white. Um, very dynamic uh, response from my sister. She only had a few minutes to do so. Uh, naturally, in order to get into the weeds of this, you would have to basically take a college course. But I think she did a great job knowing that this was the opportunity to teach. Ravana, thoughts here?
1: Yeah, I mean, Joanne Reed is such an exceptionally intelligent, uh, yeah. you know, individual, and for her to take the time to uh, educate, you know, instead of maybe dismissing the comment or you know quickly giving a short response and brushing past it, I think was really meaningful because you know, you know, as you pointed out, uh, these are things that t- you are typically not taught <laughs> in America until you reach. College level history, but I think it's so important um, for people to know the, the history of the terms, you know, uh, black and white and how they were codified originally here in the 13 colonies in anti miscegenation laws. Uh, I believe the earliest one is from Massachusetts, although I could be misspeaking there. Um, but uh, so we'll see people, I think even the most well meaning progressive people will hear. Uh, you know that there's a seminar on eradicating whiteness, and they might, you know, be turned off a little bit by that without, you know, having actually engaging in or, or you know, knowing the background of the fact that whiteness does not mean people who are uh, fair skinned. Whiteness is an ideology. It was a way to enforce a racial hierarchy in this country. It's not saying we need to eradicate people who <laughs> who are white, but it is the mindset. You know, it is the Racism, the bigotry that comes along with what whiteness is. So, you know, for her to, yeah, for her to take the time to explain that, uh, you know, I just thought was was really meaningful and really just goes to show, you know, (laughs) that she has earned (laughs) where she is in life. She is exceptionally intelligent.
0: Very much so. Um, Always a pleasure having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work.
1: Absolutely, so I think this is my last time on the show. So I do want to say thank you for having me on. I know some people in the audience know that I'm uh, starting my career as a lawyer uh, in the next coming weeks. But for the next few weeks, everybody can see my videos uh, on Rebel HQ. I've got one coming out uh, today. About the um, uh, some Trump shenanigans. So for the yeah for the next few weeks, you can see me there, Rebel HQ on YouTube and Facebook. And for updates on everything I'm doing, people can follow me uh, on Twitter at Rayvana TTV. But thank you so much for having me on this time and all the times. It's been
0: wonderful. It's wonderful to have you. Um, I'm such a fan of yours. I'm thankful for your leadership and your um, just your approach. Uh, so know that you always have an opportunity here, and please keep in touch with me. Okay. Absolutely. All right, we
2: got more on the other side. The bullpen is next, stick and stay. Let's get it, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen.
0: All right, in the bullpen today, we have Miss Amanda Griffiths, commentator, Young Voices, PhD student concentrating on political theory and international relations with an emphasis on Machiavelli's political thought. That's interesting. Good to have you on the show. How are you? Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much, Dr. Richie. I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing quite well. We're gonna chop it up about the immunity claim that Trump and his attorneys are presenting that will be decided at some point in the very near future. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about this claim of presidential immunity. So if you would, give us your sentiment and I will then opine.
3: Absolutely. So what I am aware of is that historically speaking, we've seen the courts really want to, every time they're confronted with this issue, walk back or really narrow what constitutes or what qualifies for presidential immunity. Uh, That seems to me very apt because Uh, This really needs to be a very narrowly tailored concept. We obviously don't want to be having everything open for prosecution if someone undertakes a particular action while in office and it's necessary. But that should be very, very constrained. So I'm excited to see this question taken up in a more broad format. uh, Not just with respect to uh, former President Trump, but also with respect to how this might uh, redound to future presidents as well. So I'm I'm eager to see how this plays out.
0: Do you believe the genesis of the claim itself? That basically says that the President of the United States, and this is one I, I would call it leg of the claim. That a President is basically legal until or unless successfully impeached. And so basically anything that the President does is technically legal under the standards of the Constitution because The way that you would deem an action illegal by a president is by way of impeachment. And so if they don't get successfully impeached, that means by default, their actions are legal. Do you believe in that sentiment?
3: I think that's a very dicey sentiment to hold personally. Again, I'm one of those people who would like to see presidential powers constrained, generally speaking. I'd like to see most powers of official office uh, constrained. So this is something that I would think uh,
0: should be grounds for discussion. When the motion was filed, basically, we're talking about, okay, was Trump acting in his official capacity when he told people meet him at the Capitol? And uh, all right, so we're talking about particular actions, right? And so a judge gets to decide that. But in, in the overall scope, because this is going to be precedent setting, period, whatever the decision is. in the overall scope, how legitimate is a democracy? When we do, in fact, have special rules for the leader of the country, and those special rules create special immunity so that they cannot be prosecuted for crime. They already have significant immunity. Even members of Congress, whatever they say at the well, they can't be prosecuted for it in a civil court. They can say what they want to say about somebody, defame, etc. So they already have these protections that seem wholly unfair to many people. I fear that the more we create uh, special circumstances for the elected elite, in particular in America, the more us and them narrative exists. What say you?
3: I am in agreement with you there, and I think that generally speaking, it's not good for a democracy to be this way. You're very correct. I think that it would it, it it would exacerbate tensions between. Uh, voters and office holders feel like a double standard no matter where you stand on the political aisle. And I'd especially like to see this applied to declarations of states of emergency, for instance. Uh, okay. There's a lot of uh there's a lot of leeway that's granted to office holders when they do declare a state of emergency. And it should be grounds for questioning. So, no, I don't believe that it's particularly legit- legitimate to hold a broad array of actions. Uh, in the category of actions to which a president or uh, or elected official in general is
0: immune. So let's talk about what may happen next. So let's say that some Supreme Court rules uh, that no, there's no such thing as a blanket immunity for a president. Uh, that's completely out the door. But there's there are these restrictions um, naturally that can be applied, and so they kind of split the baby, so to speak. But Trump is being prosecuted now. Uh, Trump is under prosecution by the federal government by multiple state jurisdictions and here's the rub all right you're a political theory phd student according to the political reality if you are a convicted felon you cannot vote in most states not while you serve not while you serve that sentence if trump gets convicted of even one felony how does he overcome the rule the ballot rule that says If you are currently a convicted felon still serving your sentence on parole, probation or otherwise, you cannot vote. You cannot run for a political political office. You cannot hold a position of public trust. How does he then overcome that constitutionally under a conviction scenario?
3: It's a sticky question, and I think one way that his team could possibly try to work around it is say, "Oh, we'll have him on the ballot as a write-in. Even there, though, that is, that's really taking a risk. Right. And you have a lot of states who are gonna have that discretion, be able to say, no, we don't want you on the ballot, and now we have grounds for omitting you from the ballot. So it's gonna be tough. It'll be really tough for his team. And uh, he seems to be uh, switching out various numbers of his team of late. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he's gonna be able to retain uh, good counsel on this.
0: Yeah, I do think some states are going to obviously take advantage of their ability, their right to dismiss uh, a presidential contender. Um, unfortunately, this is a very different political public atmosphere. Uh, it has happened before the last time a general, a general election standard removed a presidential contender was Abraham Lincoln. Uh, and then actually that was a catalyst to the Civil War. Uh, that started, but it proved one concept. States do have the right to do this under particular circumstances. Generally speaking, um, and this is one of those nuances of America where we have a national election, but it is state orchestrated and state governed and state implemented, right? We, which Democrats, some Democrats have argued we need to have a more uniform policies. Republicans have said, nope, we want to keep it as a state dynamic. Well, this is one of the challenges you run into where states have the authority based on constitutional, based on the court's interpretation of the constitution previously. So is this healthy for democracy, unhealthy for democracy moving forward?
3: Uh, Just the general question of whether these are decided by the states or whether it's, I'm more of a federalist fan, so a federalism fan. So I would prefer to have this be a question that states can decide individually. I acknowledge that there's gonna be tension there. If you have some states where President a presidential candidate is on the ballot, and other states where a presidential candidate is not. Wow. Uh, this is a common issue with third parties, with which I'm very familiar. So I, I prefer to have it left to states and to the people
0: that inhabit them, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have said that a little while ago, this sister. But some of these states have been so extreme in their decisions. I don't know anymore. I think there's some wisdom to a uniform policy, but at least it should be open for discussion. Uh, good luck to you in your PhD status. How far are you along now?
3: I'm about my third year now. So we're, oh we're, we're plugging along, yeah.
0: Plugging along. All right, good luck. We hope to have you back very soon. Thank you for being Love on Love to, Dr. Richie, thank you. Absolutely. All right, remember, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.